0: Welcome to the Grounded in Wisdom podcast, where we dive deep into our personal stories that have transformed us and discover the unexpected journeys we take along the way. I'm your host, Annalyn Cruz, a dream life and leadership coach, space holder, and storyteller. I guide women and BIPOC leaders on their journey toward healing their inner critic, connecting to what they truly love and confidently becoming the best version of themselves. In each episode, we'll explore the most challenging moments in life and the incredible stories of people who have emerged stronger and wiser. We'll uncover the hidden gems of wisdom, the profound lessons, and the extraordinary transformations that arose from adversity and the unexpected challenges that life throws our way. Whether you're facing a personal setback, searching for inspiration, or simply curious about the triumphs of the human spirit, this podcast is for you. So get ready to be inspired, uplifted, and empowered as we embark on this transformative journey together. Hello, hello, welcome everybody to the Grounded in Wisdom podcast, where this season, we'll be focusing on the theme of getting out of the rubble and into the light. And I'm so excited that you all joined us for the second episode of the Grounded Wisdom podcast. And it is my honor and pleasure to introduce you to our first guest, Pema Rocker. Pamela Rocker is a creativity coach and author. She's created, curated and edited magazines for LGBTQIA slash queer and spiritual communities, has created story circles for groups who wanna connect on a deeper level and has helped people find their way through grief and transition that crops up in the stories they write from business media to teaching curricula to songwriting, to memoir, Pema lives in Portland, Oregon, and I am so excited to bring her onto the pod. Welcome Pema.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's amazing. It's amazing to join you on this.
0: Yeah. And I'm super excited for the audience to get to know you a little bit more. And I know that we met many, many moons ago when we were still in college, but really got to know each other a bit more, probably, gosh, maybe 10, 11 years ago, when we sailed on Semester at Sea. And we have a mutual best friend in common, Lisa Slavid. Shout out to Lisa. Lisa. (laughs) Who, um, you know, truly, both of you are soul sisters to me and have played a very important role in my life as we all are discovering how to do this life thing. (laughs) (laughs) And you and I have had many conversations over the past uh, couple years in particular around spirituality, around grief, um, around how that plays into our day-to-day lives, how that impacts the work that we do and what we want to contribute to the world. And I just have to tell you all that I'm so incredibly inspired and awestruck with who Pema is, not just in the work that she does, because that is highly important. She'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a bit, but just who Pema is as a human being and is honestly, um, someone that I truly look up to and admire and just uh, her energy is super grounded. And I, I just, I learn from you all the time, you know? And I, and I just mm. have to tell you that that I just, every conversation that we have, I'm just so awestruck by your wisdom and your, your teachings that you probably don't even know that you're teaching me in that mm. moment. And I cannot wait for everyone who's listening to this pod to hear your your wisdom and hear more about your own life journeys and where that's taken you currently, so I just thank you for for one being our first guest on here and two just being for an incredible human being and in, in this world.
1: Wow, Annalyn, I wanted to do <laughs> job interviews. <laughs> <laughs> done hired (laughs) (laughs) thank you for that oh my gosh I as you were talking I was cascading going backwards through all the times that we've connected and been able to have long conversations and I think the same thing about you I think oh my God, where did this treasure trove come from? (laughs) Where does this insight and capacity and compassion come from that I hear in you all the time? And I'm just so grateful Mm. for our connections and how, like I remember reconnecting after a bunch of years um, when you and Lisa and I got together and hearing you talk about your energy work and your journey there and all of the wisdom that your, your whole kind of you and your whole field collects And then uh, integrates and shares. And I was just like, well, I've been missing out in the few years that we haven't uh, been talking, but I'm really happy to, um, I'm just so happy to hear all of that. Thank you for saying it. And I'm, I'm as awestruck as as you are, and I'm so grateful for our connection and that you're sending this connection of that, that deep one that you have in yourself and in the work that you do in the world that is grounded in wisdom out in podcast form, in work with your clients, it's this is the work that we need in the world right now, and you are bringing it. So thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna receive that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. So I want to get into the conversation, and as you know, we've we've talked about many rubble moments that have happened within our own lives on a one-to-one or in a small group basis. And, you know, I'll open it up with asking you about your particular rubble moment or moments that have happened in your life. And just so we're all on the same page in terms of what the, um, the audience is defining as rubble moments as well. I, I define it as those life changing, monumental, extra challenging journeys and experiences where our own individual world feels as though it's crashing down and we cannot come back up for air. That was just the visual and the metaphor that I kept seeing and feeling into when I was thinking about what's the theme that I wanna focus in on for this season And as you and I know, I've been through a lot of rubble moments just this past year. I know you have gone through some incredible um, journeys throughout your life. So yeah, let me toss it back over to you for you to share um, what's one or more that have impacted your life and what's
1: made you who you are today. Sure. What a sacred question. And conversation. so I mean, the, the the first the first rubble moment that comes to mind is in my childhood. It seems like when we're adults, we 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 perceive that we have some control over where our lives are going, and we and less so as children. but and so, like, how does it appear as rubble as a child? I'm thinking as you're asking me this. But when I was um, just about to turn sixteen, Uh, The day before my 16th birthday, my brother, who had just turned 17 a couple days before, was killed in a car crash. And the way uh, it like lights, lights fully on and then lights fully off. It's just like um, the context of our relationship was he was my best friend. He was my protector. I was the only girl in a family of five boys he was the closest to me in age he and I had we're a a blended step family he and I came from the same original parents and so we we basically had the same journey and so he was my constant um in in a lot of changes in early childhood with family family changes he was my constant um and when he died, suddenly, we were ourselves as individual people growing through early teenhood, we were coming into ourselves. We were moving from child to like the beginnings of adults. I had, mm-hmm. there was a rule that I couldn't date until I was 16. And that was just going to be this big door flung open for me this new independence. And like the two days before David died, he his curfew got extended. Like <laughs> we, we were, we were yeah. communicating with each other in new ways and kind of seeing ourselves and each other in new ways. And so right at this moment that it felt like life was going to go somewhere for me in the ways that I could see in my high school friendships that it was going for other kids who had some, I don't know, some say over their lives and were less sheltered maybe than I was. Um, that had a complete... Detour. There was a complete detour, not only a complete detour in what I thought my life was going to look like the next day and going forward, but I used already the phrase "the lights just went out." I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything anymore. Um, and my, I mean, it started there, but it became a lifelong question and exploration of how does a relationship like that, that's so florid and full and vibrant and kind of the definition of all of me is what it felt like at the time. How does Mm -hmm. that just turn off? I don't know how to turn off a relationship like that. And so for me, what became true, what I heard myself saying over time is how do you have a relationship with a dead person? And it didn't make any sense uh, spoken out loud, but it's what I felt like inside. And I just kind of tried to get right from that point. But at first, at first, it was just like a blackness. I was just—it was the, a darkness. I didn't know how to find my way out of.
0: Yeah, and that darkness that you just described. I know, in other conversations, you have used the the metaphor. Of it feels like you're stuck in a well, right? And, mm. and you and you may maybe see a glimmer of of that light. Um, and first of all before i go there i just want to say as you describe david oh what a special relationship mm-hmm. you yeah. two had and and continue to have and and what i heard you really talk about is this uh, you know closeness and intimacy him being your your go-to person right mm-hmm. like being able to be the constant in a time in your life I'm gonna guess like adolescence, teenage uh, years Mm -hmm. where there's so much change that happens during that time physically physiologically mentally and what a special beautiful relationship you two had around having each other um, where you could sort of test out these new ways of being together Mm -hmm. that's that's a note that i wrote to myself of Mm
1: -hmm.
0: wow you know what a what a profound relationship that you had with your brother at such a young age and and just uh, i'm so sorry for that loss i know it's been a long time but that it's it's still uh, i'm gonna you know again i know that that's had an impact on on your life even now
1: Yeah, I feel like it was, um, you know, it was that first hardest moment. It was the anchor moment of the trajectory of the rest of my life. And in ways, my life, I spent the next 20 years trying to find my way through grief and understand what that Mm. meant and try to understand who I was without my brother. And, um, It seemed like a long time to every summer at the anniversary of his death, be like, why am I so sad right now? It's my birthday month. And finally it hits me. Oh, my brother died a year ago or two years ago or six years ago. It's it's the, the memory of the grief comes first, or like the feeling in my body of sadness comes first. And then I get conscious to it and realize, oh, we're here again. It's not gone. Um, and now it's time to begin this integration process all over again because <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. conscious of the loss again. But yes, I love how you said a relationship where we got to test things out. Uh, you know, like um, it was very much like that, and he was my constant. And as I heard you saying that, I realized that, oh, yeah, um, or I should say remember that so, so often relationships that I find successful in my adult life uh, echo my relationship that I had with my brother <laughs> mm. and it, it always cracks me up because we were juveniles right but just when I get into goofy laughter or the ability to talk about anything and everything swerving between highs and lows all in the same breath um uh I realize, oh this is modeled on on my relationship as a teenager I guess that was right. pretty good because it that's those are the best ones that I have now you know
0: I love that connection point, and it reminds me of something we talked about in my energy class last week, which was around what are, what are the templates that we have in our lives that can give us some positive example? So what you just said around, you know, David sort of being that, um, that first go-to person for you early in life, and you experience such a positive connected, you know, uh, type of relationship with one another that then served as an example, as a template for other successful relationships or friendships you've had in your adult life. And I think that's just so beautiful that it started with
1: him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what a surprise. I was unconscious back then. You know, I was just a kid doing life, doing every day. And to look back, you know, to go through an adulthood of a few relationships and then to like Mm -hmm. look back and see them and think, oh my gosh, these are all, (laughs) This this is like the model of success and it works. It works as long as I am healthy and, you know, minding my expectations, this, it's so funny to think of this model of innocence, like you're pretty innocent when you're that age and um, like intentions are pure and to mm-hmm. think of that or like kind of see that as a touchstone. It's, it's kind of a sweet thought. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, you know, you talked about this, the darkness that, that you felt and I know we've also Um, talked about just the the tremendous loss right and and we talked about also losing parts of yourself or losing your voice during this time and so if I could you know do I have your permission to kind of take us back to that time um briefly so okay so you know I love the the well analogy that that you mentioned in another conversation with me about the loss of David and being stuck in that well and kind of looking up and not knowing how you're going to get out what was your mindset at the time where or what was your heart saying to you um you know, I know it's been many years, but I'm sure you could probably drop back into that time of of just being in that darkness and in that well.
1: Yeah, so his death was so immediate, so fast and so unexpected um, that, you know, what followed immediately was just this darkness. I remember, uh, th- and it wasn't just, me it wasn't just I who lost David my family lost him he was loved by his friends um, and he had friends in lots of different capacities school church Uh, our church friends we grew up with since we were little our grandparents and our I mean our parents grew up (laughs) together Um, Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of depth in people's love and affinity with 54 David and mine. So there were people around me. There were friends who were with me um, in the days that followed. We would just hang out. We would sit in a room together. I don't know if we listened to music or stared at the wall or what we did. If we made jokes. I remember my friend Scott Cooper came over one night with his parents and at one point, like we were, we had, I don't know if we had carved a pumpkin or what, or I was doing a lot of random things at that time. Like maybe it wasn't even October, but we made a pumpkin pie or something, but Scott and I stood at the kitchen sink and we peeled pumpkin seeds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, (laughs) I just remember doing things as simple as standing next to each other and peeling pumpkin seeds. I don't know if we talked, I don't know what we did, but for for years after David died I just remember this kind of blankness of mind and mm. maybe like a like having blinders on either side of my vision and three years later I noticed I know it was three years because I was 19 at this time I was sitting on the floor of my bedroom staring at across the room just at the closet uh, just noticing the things around me, like the sunlight, the way it came in the window, the smell of the morning Mm -hmm. and, but that's it. That's all I could notice were those sensory things and realizing like in those moments, realizing, Oh, I'm having feelings. This is different. Something feels different. And what it feels like is I got an image for it in my head. I feel so, I feel sad. And I feel so deeply sad that it's like, I'm sitting at the bottom of a well. The well has no water in it. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting at the bottom. I'm looking up toward the top and somehow I have to get to the top of the well. But, it, and I don't know how I'm gonna do it. There's no ladder. I don't, I don't know how do you scale a wall, but at least I know where I am. At least I can see where I am. And mm-hmm. somehow I've got to get up there from down here. And from that day, I don't know if I went that day or the next day, but I was just like, well, what can I do in a day, every day? And so I went out and I drove to the gym and I bought a gym membership. And I said to myself, I'm going to go to school. I was in community college. I'm going to go to school in the daytime. I'm going to come home and do homework at night. I'm gonna do that every day like these are my actions and i'm going to go to the gym every day i'm gonna just get on that whatever machine i'm gonna ask a person to show me around what to work on i'm gonna go move my body in this way i'm gonna go put pen to paper in this way and that's it and um Mm -hmm. my friends were still around but at this point i had kind of isolated myself a, a little bit just trying to do this something every day Until one day, another dear friend, Steve Nelson, reached out and he said, I'm taking you to dinner. And I said, I'm not going to dinner. I've got homework because, you know, this was my routine and I just needed my routine every single day. And he said, well, okay, but we're going to dinner. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so there was, even though I felt in my space, like I had blinders on or all I could see first was darkness and then all I could see was this well around me and then all I could see was the gym stuff or my homework in front of me or a class my friends were still there and Steve this one day was like we got to change things up (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. um, I felt alone but I guess my realization is that I wasn't alone and it was it was people outside of my internal sphere that kind of came in and said, come on, let's go, let's go see what else there is in the world, even if it's dinner at sunset downtown. Yeah, well, it's interesting as you
0: um, talk about sort of the, the journey right after David's passing, and what I heard you say was, you know, you were stuck in that well, and part of how you started to climb out, even though you didn't know What you were going to do, but there was some sort of structure and routine that perhaps provided you some normalcy or something to rely on Mm -hmm, in a very ever-changing world. And then you also talked about, you know, movement and and getting accessing your body in that way by going to the gym. And then you talked about. Steve Nelson. So, (laughs) hey, Steve. I hope you're (laughs) hearing this right now. (laughs) Steve recognized that you were isolating yourself from within and saying, hey, let's go ahead. Let's go to dinner. And and I'm wondering if Steve and others and these other ways in which you kind of started rebuilding, Mm -hmm. what what light did they provide you in a very dark time? How did Mm. you even start seeing that light was possible when you were stuck in that well of darkness?
1: Yeah. What a great question. And the answer that kind of surfaces to me is so some of us, when we're, grieving and in the darkness last thing we want is to see light like don't make me let go like if this Mm -hmm. is my memory or if this if the loss is my remaining relationship with what was with who was then how am i i don't want to let go of it and also that's not a conscious thought it's just like a physical or psychic feeling and so what comes to me as i think about steve or i think about um going to school to my classes or to the gym so when I think about those things those things have uh, um accessory truths that come with them so my classes had people in them and uh those people had lives and sometimes if there was a break I'd end up in the same orbit as them and we'd say hi or I'd hear I'd learn about a little bit more about what they were up to and Steve, what Steve brought with him other than our friendship that we'd had through our last couple of years of high school, we already had a really sweet and deep friendship, but um, Steve brought his own kind of life and personality and interests. And Steve was a photographer. And when I was in high school, I studied photography and we went out and took photos all the time. His family had a photography, uh, either studio or, store. And um, so, like, uh, we had this consciousness in our conversation around taking photographs uh, and the Mm -hmm. world around it. And so, like, that became an act, not just something to talk about or to relate on, but it became something for me to think about, like, oh, look, I can take my camera out, I can um, take another action that captures my world without me having to talk, I don't remember if we've touched on this, but at one point I stopped talking and I don't think I was what you'd call like an actual diagnosis of selective mutism, but Mm -hmm. I, I remember people talking to me and me not having responses just, and I would hear the words of a response or potential response or even confusion for how do I answer this in my head, but I couldn't speak it. And yeah. photography, taking pictures, even talking about pictures was something that was a part of Steve's world that was also a part of my world that we could then talk about. And then I could, oh, right, I can go out and do that. We can go out together to the beach or to the cemetery or like down wherever and go take pictures. And we could do that without talking, but we'd also talk about it. And then, you know, in class, like I said, other people brought their lives. And so that gave me little avenues like Susie, my friend Susie was a volleyball player in high school. And that gave me um, just other people's orbits gave me access to um, interests that I soon either borrowed or kind of took on myself, you know, volleyball. I, I, I ended up after high school working at a sports store and the guy who ran the store was close to my age and he was a volleyball player. So I was still really quiet and really grieving, but he's like, let's go out to the beach and play volleyball. So like I was moving my body and I was doing something outside my head and I still didn't have to say Mm -hmm. a whole lot, but there were things outside of me that I was starting to do. And it was those kinds of things that kind of, like lifted me up slowly out of the well. I wasn't climbing, I was just doing by relating with others and the interests that they brought into our relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, so fast forward to current times. Um, and I'm, I'm curious now, you know, as the adult Pema has, has now blossomed and it is here now. What would you say are some of the biggest life lessons um, that came out of that particular rubble moment or if there were others that you experienced as an adult, like how has your perspective shifted in terms of how you I don't even know if work through these rubble moments or how you are able to um to find strength in these in these moments that I know each and every single one of us has so um I guess I'm my question is as I talk out loud, my question Mm -hmm. is really around the person and human that you are now having suffered that great loss um, with David. What have you learned about yourself um, through that experience and maybe some other rubble moments that we haven't even talked about on the pod um, Mm -hmm. in terms of like how you continue to find strength, even when there are these moments that just kind of whew, take your breath away, sometimes literally.
1: Yeah. So the, the, there's, the first thing that comes to mind is a like letting myself be as silent or as numb as I need to be and the next thing i'm mm. going to like start to talk about is my book um because and and i will i'm going to toggle back and forth between those two things because i didn't learn yeah, it immediately please. and then i didn't know that i knew it once i learned it it took a lot of rubble moments to and of mine and other people's who were close to me to see oh here's what's happening um there's got to so i um So I'm just going to jump really quickly to the book part. So I wrote a book. Mm -hmm. It's called Ash and Spirit. There's a subtitle freeing grief and finding hope in 31 days of memories, mediumship and collective healing. And so I wrote Ash and Spirit because it was triggered by I was in New York City on 9-11. I had just three weeks ahead of that moved there and and from Southern California, where we don't have tall Mm -hmm. buildings. And I ran down to the corner to see like, how do you, how do they put out a fire in a tall building in a city like this? And then saw what we all saw who were there that day and watching TV that day. Um, And um, I remember, I remember thinking, like I was looking up at the the, hole that the first plane in the first tower left thinking, I've got to run to class. I can't be late. It's theater school. You can't be late to theater. So I was searing this view in my mind. And I wasn't sure why. I was just like, what does this look like? I've got to analyze this. Get it soaked into my memory. Okay, now run to class. I go to class. There's only like 12 of us, 13 of us in class everyone's like kind of freaked out like what's going on we don't know what's going on we're only a mile from the site um we sit in a circle the teacher's doing the best she can to just be like okay let's we're clearly not going to learn anything today let's just pull ourselves in a circle and have a conversation and be present to what's happening even though we can't tell what's happening but there's sounds outside and sirens and every now and then somebody screams and I mean, all this mishigas and so, uh, and feelings, and what's happening for me, meanwhile, is in my head, I'm looking at that picture that I've seared into my mind. I'm thinking, how many floors is it from the ceiling to that top of that hole? And how many floors does that hole possibly cover? And how many people were on those floors? And how, therefore, how many people, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just counting, 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 counting. And finally, by the end of my calculation, what i heard myself say is oh there's going to be it's 86 at the very least there's going to be 86 people who have the coroner come to their house tonight and tell them that their loved one isn't coming home when i heard myself think that i realized oh that's what i was doing i was dealing with my own early trauma my own trauma of losing david was Mm -hmm. triggered in that moment of standing on the corner with hundreds of people looking up at what had just happened and i realized throughout the rest of that day as it unfolded as horrifically as it did that i i my brain was trying to make a map of um what's going on here what's my brain can't understand what's going on and so it was searching through traumas in my life to try is it this one is it that one did somebody die did somebody like fall down like like my brain woke up all of these traumas in order to try to understand what this one was and i'm like um okay turbo ptsd does if i'm like every trauma that i had thought i had put to bed in the course of my um 30 years of living at that point just stood up again and then i thought Mm -hmm. If that happened for me, and I'm in the city of millions of people, who else has that happened for, and is happening for right now? That there's a current trauma, there's a current actual rubble moment happening, yet we're living in some ways in our earlier traumas in order to try to deal with these ones, this one, and so mm-hmm. I from that point, I was like, I got to well, a few, a couple years later when I got a lot of perspective on it, I realized I have to write about this. I have to, I'm going to write a book about this. And one of the ways that I was dealing with my own trauma a couple of years later was to interview people about, that I knew about what it was like for them in New York on that day. Um, And so all of this to say I did, I ended up writing the book about it. And in so doing, it was almost like you know, taking pictures with Steve, like having a camera, mm. pulling it out, pointing at something that, like the composition, like finding a composition in my lens that felt good, like felt good to look at. Those lines feel calming, or those shapes feel calming. I'm gonna snap the picture. You know, like organizing these thoughts around the chaos of 9/11 and all the traumas that stood up. My and asking other people. What was it like for you? What did you do? What have you thought about since? What do you do every year in commemoration? Did you have other traumas? Like organizing thoughts for myself and for other people, like composing something, making all the lines line up, um, just was calming for me and organizing for me. And so Mm -hmm. saying all of that, that was a process, right? It wasn't immediate. And going back to the first thing that I remarked about um, having a, like an immediate compassion for myself, learning that with trauma comes confusion and uh, like being stunned. And so we're so often asked a month later, a week later, Hey, how are you doing? You going back to work? How are you feeling? Like everything's good, right? Right. Like there's a speed to people's expectations. Like people don't, it's hard for people to be in depth and pain with somebody else. And so they're going to push us along or bring us along. Um, it's not all bad, but it, it's, um, sometimes too fast. And so I would apply Mm -hmm. that pressure to myself and I would think, okay, uh, I gotta, I gotta get going on this, but to just remember that it's just going to be painful, um, for a while and to allow that painfulness to happen.
0: Well, I, I, I love how you brought up that point because I know I've been grappling with, with this idea of when we suffer a loss in our life of someone who has deeply impacted us, a loved one, you know, um, something I'll share with the listeners is that one of my deepest, closest friends that I had for many years, Um, Christina had passed away earlier this year. And it, it has been profoundly impactful for me in so many different ways. But I think one thing that I've been sitting with is this idea of fast forwarding through the grief process. And the expectation for for some people to kind of move this along, like you're good now, right? (laughs) It's been Mm -hmm. six months. It's been one year. It's been 30 years, right? And I think what I have come to realize now that I've suffered um, a, a death with someone who I was so close to is recognizing that, oh you can't put a timeline on grief you can't put a timeline or try to rush the process of really feeling into this pain you know Mm -hmm. and i think we're oftentimes so quick um to as a culture to be like okay boom enough time has passed now it's time to move forward and i just I just want to thank you for shedding uh, a spotlight. Yeah.
1: I, um, I have been so moved by your, your journey since you lost Christina and um, how you've been so present and haven't in, in my, in my, you know, what you shared with me, you haven't been rushing and there's so much of a, it's such a terrible, terrible loss. It's such a terrible thing to lose someone. And in trying to first be with it, and then second begin to wonder, what is this even about? What is happening here? And to kind of be present to this is a part of life. People leave, uh, mm-hmm. people die, and this is a part of life. And if this is a part of life, what are we, what am I doing here? What am I doing with? all of these feelings that got left behind when she, when she left or when they left or when he left, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I've been so moved by your willingness to just be in the presence of, okay, here are my feelings. This is where they are today. It's agonizing or it's enlightening or it's making me laugh. You just keep going in. And I feel like that's, one of the things that took me a lot of years and losses to learn, which is just be here right now. It's going to mm. change and it's only going to shift as you be here. I mean, that's not true. It'll, it's always, it's always going to shift, but it will shift um, kind of more in a more whole way, I find, if I'm willing to just be present for it and feel as much as, there, as, much as I can stand to feel you know, in the moment. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, one last question for you while we are going to wrap up is, you know, you shared um, the, the beautiful journey that you've had with David and and the impact that it's had over the years on your life and how you've moved through some of the rubble and um, kind of, helped rescue yourself out of that well and into the light i'm wondering what wisdom you would share with others who may be struggling with something similar or perhaps they're in that well themselves and they can't see any light right now or maybe they may have a glimmer of it um but it, it's hard to to kind of see how can I get out of this rubble? What would you? Mm-hmm. What would you want to share with those folks?
1: Yeah. So what keeps? I know that's a big coming. question. <laughs> yeah, but what keeps coming up, as you say that, there's so many, so many different actions that different people will find comforting. And not everybody will find the same action comforting mm-hmm. or helpful. But I think what um, is kind of a big deal is to l- either let oneself be reached, let yourself be reached, or to reach out. And when you're a lump and of numbness or feelings and, uh, and feeling isolation, the last thing you want to do is reach out. Um, but for all of its isolation, grief is the thing that unifies us, every single one of us loses something someone sometime and some of us more frequently than others and so yeah for all of its isolation grief is a unifier and when we can be affected by others or reach out to others or be be reached out to then I think that starts to keep us like put us on the map again after levitating off this world or sinking down through it, you know, like it starts to put me on the map again and ways of reaching out for somebody who is an isolator like me so often. Um, I, um, I went through a really depressed couple of years and noticed every day, like, how am I going to get through every day? And I would make a list Of things that bring me back to myself. And for me, those were, okay, I'm going to go out for a walk in the park behind my house. Have I done that? Can I check that off my list? Okay. Have I done, how am I feeling now that I've done that? If I'm still feeling awful, then, you know, other things that make me feel good, call a friend, even if it's just for five minutes to say hello or, Um, what makes me feel good is to spend some time writing or I know that meditation even for five minutes has helped me. Or then I discovered that singing helps me. So I would put on a real singable song and walk around my house singing uh, for five minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. like I would make a checklist of things that felt good to me. And when I was feeling terrible, do at least one and then do another one if I still needed to, that was reaching out of my agony into other things so like there's reaching out to people but there's also reaching out to things that you know can move you and kind of lift your energy or move it out of where it is and once i could move my energy up a little bit and up a little bit up a little bit then i could reach out and then for me personally um i entered the rooms of 12 step in uh in this case uh, going to alanon mm-hmm. um, that it takes it uh just listening to people's stories helped me tremendously even if i wasn't sharing my stories yet i was listening to people share their stories and i was not alone and so like there are grief groups all over the place online and in person that i come into co- into contact with all the time and um some people rely on th- their church groups or um some people have groups at school and i would say that in the realm of reaching out, I find it's really important that if you are not being received, then to try somewhere else. Mm -hmm. There's a mistake I've made where I keep trying to be heard by people who don't have the capacity to hear me. And that just sends me deeper into grief. And so if there's a way to be like, hey, that didn't feel so good and maybe, maybe I won't stop this effort of reaching out or being moved. I'll try somewhere else, you know, because yeah. we all feel it. Some of, us, um, some of us have the capacity to feel with others and some of us don't. And it's no slight on anyone. It's just where we're at in the learning process about grief. And so I just would say, keep reaching out, whether it's to a thing that feels good that then leads to others or if it's straight to others, or just letting yourself be reached.
0: I love that. I love that. And, you know, I heard three things that you talked about. So one, again, let yourself be reached or reach out Two. how to reach from within to lift your energy. And I love that idea of writing down a checklist of things that make you feel good. So I noted here, this inquiry, I would say for all of us, whether you're going through grief or not, how do I come back to myself? How do I come back to my own center? And for some of us, we may not know what that is, right? Mm -hmm. So how can we get quiet enough to, and, and honor ourselves of thinking about, okay, what are the things that lift my spirit? What are the activities um, that I could do that feels nourishing for my soul or that I know will bring me some semblance of joy, even if I haven't felt that in a really long time. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: the last thing is allowing ourselves the opportunity to keep reaching out even if we maybe have not been able to be heard or seen or witnessed with the people we originally reach out to. And again, mm-hmm. no, no blame or shame on that person. We're all on our mm-hmm. different journeys together, but it's important to circle back to your first point of, you know, let yourself be reached and to continue to reach out. Mm-hmm. Love
1: that, that thing about um joy something that brings me joy i think even like a step like sometimes i think joy's not possible why even reach out and then i think mm. about that that photography or taking picture thing like it feels good to me when the lines are all well all, all the composition has all the lines lined up or like mm-hmm. it feels good to put these puzzle pieces from this kitten puzzle together <laughs> or it feels good <laughs> yeah. to to make sure that the silverware in the drawer is all straight, like something that just Mm. feels good. That's good. That feels good on my eyes or in my hands or something that just makes me think about something else that might be the step I can get to if I can't get to joy, you know?
0: Thank you. I think that's really important. Like what's the next
1: um,
0: perhaps small step, small win that we could do for ourselves. And Mm -hmm. maybe that the concept or the act or the feeling of joy seems too far reaching from where you're at. Mm -hmm. So I love that of bringing it back to something more accessible and closer Mm -hmm. to us. So thank you for having that. Well, Pema, where can folks find you? Where can you be reached if people want to you know, perhaps purchase Ash and Spirit, or mm-hmm. where can they find you if they
1: want to just connect? To what,
0: yeah. What's the best way?
1: Thank you for asking. I love connection. It's probably my favorite thing. <laughs> so um, <laughs> my, uh, my book, Ash and Spirit, is on... That's three words, ash and spirit. That was said fairly fast. Um, <laughs> it's on Kindle. You can find it there now. You can also find it on my website, PemaRocker.com. And um, my, this, my Story Charmer, which is the name of my business, That you can find me there at StoryCharmer.com. Um, that is uh, currently under construction. I'm working on that one right now, but that's, a, that's another place you can find me in the future's.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you so much again for this conversation. I have really, really appreciated hearing more about your story and all of the wisdom that you've shared with all the listeners. I am so grateful for you and our friendship.
1: Oh, Annalyn, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on and asking me questions. Even like hearing questions and, and being called to answer them brings me more answers and more understanding is our conversation helps me grow and I'm really grateful. Thank you. And I can't Mm -hmm. wait to hear over time and with your guests, your wisdom that comes through your questions and through your conversation. So thank you so much for having me. You're absolutely welcome.
0: All right, folks, till next time, we'll see you on the next episode of the Grounded in Wisdom podcast. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Grounded in Wisdom. I hope you found inspiration courage, and a renewed sense of possibility through the incredible stories that were shared here today. Remember, your journey is filled with tons of potential and the ability to move through life's challenges that come your way. If you enjoyed this episode and want to continue exploring the power of personal stories, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and I would love it if you could leave a review. Your feedback means so much to me and the rest of the team, and it helps us really reach more people who could benefit from these transformative conversations. And finally, remember that your story matters. You have the strength within yourself to move through and even overcome life's biggest challenges. You could even heal your inner critic and learn to become the best version of yourself trust in your journey, and keep shining the light within yourself to the rest of the world. This has been the Grounded in Wisdom podcast with your host, Annalyn Cruz. If you're ready to take your own journey of self-discovery and transformation to the next level, feel free to visit my website at groundedinwisdom.co to learn more about my coaching and facilitation offerings that I provide the community. Thanks so much and have a beautiful rest of your day and night.